0: This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com.
1: Hey, friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Shannon Martin, the author of Falling Free and The Ministry of Ordinary Places is my guest today. Y'all, I don't even know where to begin describing our conversation. It is one I will forever cherish as her book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, has had significant impact on how I view and relate to people living in different circumstances than my own. We talk about loving our literal neighbors, living the American dream with the side of Jesus, sticking with friends when they relapse, and even tattoo removal for the incarcerated. Listen to what Shannon says about serving others.
0: I cannot fix addiction. I cannot fix... Generational poverty. I cannot fix oppression. I cannot fix a lot of the things that my neighbors struggle with, but I can give a ride.
1: I hope after listening to today's episode, you walk out your front door with a boldness to love like never before. Hey Shannon and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. It's great Good to morning. have you here today.
0: Yes, I'm happy to be here.
1: Yeah, you're in the frozen tundra up in Goshen, Indiana.
0: I am. It's I'm terrible. So sorry. <laughs>
1: Worst. Somebody was complaining here in Raleigh about it being so cold. And I'm like, well, I have a friend in Minneapolis who said it was a negative twenty-nine today. And so I just said, I'm not gonna complain.
0: It's right, it's all perspective. I mean, we've yesterday and today our wind chill was down around negative fifty, which is like unimaginable. But then last night my husband was like, we live just two hours east of Chicago. And he said in Chicago, it was negative 75. So I'm like, no matter where you're at, there's always somewhere worse. Like, how is that even possible? I don't know. I don't know. At some point, you get cold enough that it's all kind of the same. Right. Right. It's just, you just need to not be in it. You need to not be outside. Right. Which some people
1: sadly don't have the luxury of. I
0: know. But we'll get into
1: that a little bit more. We will. (laughs) Good. um, Go ahead and introduce us to you and your family and our listeners a little bit about what you do and kind of where you are at this place in your life.
0: Yeah. So I've been married to my husband, Corey, for almost 20 years, and we met at our little Christian college, you know, a thousand years ago. And we have four kiddos now. So one interesting thing about our family is that all of our kids came to us through adoption and they each have really, you know, different and special and unique stories as all children do. But I'll just run through that lineup real quickly because we might talk about some of them today. Calvin is 13 and was born in South Korea. Ruby is 12 and she was born domestically. We have an open adoption with her birth mom. And then Silas is 10. He was also born in South Korea. And then our oldest son, Robert, came to us most recently. So he's just turned 25 last week. And he was kind of born and raised in the Chicago area and did not come into our family until he was 19. So we adopted way out of birth order with that one. We live in Goshen, Indiana. We moved here, I don't know, six and a half years ago. And I know we're going to talk a good bit about just that transition of getting us to where we are now and why we're here and that kind of thing but we live in a very ordinary kind of overlooked a little bit shabby neighborhood on what a lot of people would consider to be the you know sort of the wrong side of the tracks mm-hmm. so we live in in a low income super diverse and rich and beautiful wonderful neighborhood and that's where our life is really is really rooted in this, you know, this kind of three or four block radius. I mean, most of our life happens within really two blocks. It's been such an adventure for us to just really dig in here in our neighborhood and in our community. And then my husband is the full-time chaplain of our county jail. And so that's something that that was a surprise when that happened five or so years ago as well. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of our family. I'm a writer. And, you know, I get to do most of my work work here from my home in Goshen, but most of my work revolves around just my neighbors and my neighborhood. So I like to say that, you know, my job is to be a neighbor and to live as a neighbor. And then my side hustle is to kind of write <laughs> some of it down when I get a minute, when I can think straight.
1: Well, and several of our listeners may not know your story, which was originally written in your first book, Free Falling. Falling yeah. Free. Oh, Falling Free. Yes, yes. Falling Close. Free. <laughs> free Falling. That's that's, um, that's Tom who, Petty. That's, there we go, Tom Petty. <laughs> okay, so Falling Free. Yeah. Um, take us back and give us a little bit of that story yeah. A little bit of the backstory of living in your farmhouse on these six ran- you know, rambling yeah. acres that are beautiful yeah. and how you shifted into urban life.
0: I would love to. Yeah. You know, let's go back in time. Maybe, I don't know, eight years ago or so um, we were at that time we had just Calvin and Ruby. So we just had our our first two kiddos. My husband and I both had political jobs, so we had lived for a time in washington d c and he worked for a United States Congressman. I worked for a political think tank when we moved back to Indiana to the district he you know he continued working for the congressman. I was working from home. we bought this farmhouse, and you know it's like I think a lot of people it, maybe in their thirties, you know kind of in that in that phase of life, we have this idea of sort of how we will know that we have arrived in the life that we've Mm -hmm. always wanted. And that farmhouse for me in particular symbolized so much of that. You know, it's what I had always wanted. And we had, we'd been married for, I don't know, 12 or so years at that point. And so we had lived in apartments. We lived in our apartment in DC. We had lived in our first, you know, sort of starter home. And now here we were. And It was back along Lane. It was just this beautiful white farmhouse with a wraparound porch on six acres. And we had an orchard and barns and a, a little fish pond and gardens. And I mean, it was just it wasn't perfect. It wasn't anything fancy. Right. But it was just that thing that I had always wanted. And it was sort of, to me, kind of that stake in the ground of like, okay, now now we have all these pieces. You know, we've started our family and our family came to us in an unexpected way. But man, these kids are beautiful and amazing. And now we've got this farm, you know, I wanted to give our kids the the childhood that I had had in many ways, which was kind of that I grew up without a lot, my family didn't have a lot, but we lived out in the country. And so I had kind of that, you know, run barefoot through the pasture childhood. And that's what I I really believed. And, And so did Corey, like, we just really believed that that was our job you know to create a life for ourselves and for our kids that was as safe and peaceful and comfortable as possible and we really truly believed that that was the thing and you know of course we we loved the lord we were involved in our church we were tithing we were giving to missions we were doing all of these things that we we believe were important and things that we had taught to do but at some point along the line we started to kind of take a step back and realize number 1 Now that we had everything that we thought we wanted, what do we do with the fact that we still feel like there's something missing? What could Mm. possibly be missing? You know, at the point that you get everything you wanted, you have to reconcile with that kind of, you know, that rumbling in your stomach that says, you know, there's still, this isn't all there is, guys. And then, you know, another step beyond that was realizing that what we thought was the good Christian life for us, you know, we were checking all those boxes, we were really living the American dream with the sight of Jesus. That's what we were doing. And to come face to face with that reality when we really when we really believed that we were getting it wrong, to start to understand that we were really missing a lot of the gospel, we were missing this call to live as a neighbor. We were missing the gift of being near the poor and being near the oppressed and the overlooked. And we had to honestly face the fact that we didn't know the poor. I mean, we just, we had lived almost our entire lives, both of us, in circumstances and surroundings where everyone near us looked and lived and believed just like we did. We were in this bubble that we didn't even know that we were in. And so it was a dramatic time. There was just a lot of, you know, coming to understand all of this stuff. It felt like an earthquake. I mean, it just, it felt like nothing was sure. It felt scary. It felt exciting it felt sad. You know, I just, it was so many emotions and so much, it took time to work through this idea of, okay, what, what now, what do we do? Right. How do we find proximity with the poor? We know that the heart of God, you know, we're starting to see finally that the heart of God cares deeply about people who we might see as being different than us. And so how do we, how do we do this? And so it, you know, that conversation, which none of this happened overnight, it felt like it took a really long time in some ways, but we did end up selling that farm and moving into this neighborhood after, you know, I guess it's important to mention, because I don't want it to seem like, you know, we were just exceptionally intuitive or, right. <laughs> or perceptive. I like called to... you and you just woke to... up the next day right. and went. We just went. I mean, it, it took a lot of dramatic things for us to to really fully understand. And some, some of that understanding came when right in the midst of all of these questions that we started to ask ourselves and just kind of rethinking a lot of things. We did. We flew to South Korea and brought Silas home, mm-hmm. and he was just a heartbroken baby and just grieving, grieving, grieving so hard for so long. And then within a month of him coming home, my job really abruptly ended. The government contract I was working under was abruptly canceled. And then the congressman my husband worked for resigned one day on TV, as they do in the movies. And so, you know, within with a month and a half, we brought home our third child, and we both lost our jobs. And that was that got our attention. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
1: I can only imagine.
0: (laughs) That got our attention. And so, you know, but the funny thing is from even from that, from that point was when we started to really take seriously the fact that we knew that there was something more for us, you know, God had more for us, but we started to understand that God's more for us was going to look like less. Mm. Where we had lived for so long of working, you know, working hard and taking steps up and gaining and saving and, you know, doing all these things that were kind of upward trajectory. Mm -hmm. A lot of that was kind of pulled out from under us. And so it took about 18 months from having that real clear, Like, this is what's happening to really put those pieces into place of selling the farm, figuring out where we were going. I mean, it it took a lot of time. It didn't happen overnight.
1: Right. I want to read what Jen Hatmaker wrote in the foreword of your first book, because it's exactly how I felt. Um, yeah. listening to your most recent book, so I'm going to read that and ask you a question about it. She says, Shannon's story feels at once familiar and spectacular, ordinary and exceptional. You will discover that at the same times her words make you squirm, you will wish you lived next door to her. You will want her wisdom, and you will want her pickles. <laughs> and so I had written to you, like, I can't say yes and amen to that enough because... As I'm listening to your most recent book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, I'm thinking, oh, this makes me feel so uncomfortable, (laughs) but so drawn to it because I really do know it's the heart of God. And then also, like, I just want to sit and have dinner with you. And so why do you think Jen's words make us feel that way? Me, this Christian who lives in the manicured neighborhood with all the neighbors that look the same as well maybe don't look the same as me but are very similar to me what do you think makes us feel that way as a believer when we read your story
0: You know, I think we all part of our life now in our neighborhood and just with our friends who we spend most of our time with is coming to this place of understanding that we really do. I think all sort of want the same things, you know, as much as it's easy to to look at what makes us different. And I think that's a good and beautiful and important thing to do. You know, for one thing. I'm a white woman raising zero white kids. You know, none of my kids are white. And so I'm not in that, like, I don't see color. We're colorblind. I think that's bogus. I think, man, we're missing out if we want to say that we don't see, you know, that we don't notice skin color. I, I want to notice the things that make us different. I want to celebrate them. However, I think I lived so much of my life with this idea of wanting to surround myself With people who were like me, whatever that means, because it was more comfortable. And so, you know, I think it's really important to move outside of those boxes that we put ourselves and other people in. But even as we do that, we kind of come full circle and, you know, sit with people who on paper we might have nothing in common with. Mm -hmm. But as you build that real friendship and that real relationship, you realize, oh, yeah, we are all kind of the same. We do all want the same things. We want to be loved. We want to be trusted. We want to be um, valuable. We want to have something to offer. We want to be generous. We want to know the people around us and we want to be known. And so I think there's this thing in us that, you know, like you said, it makes us uncomfortable in some ways. I still feel that discomfort frequently all the time. And it takes work to overcome it. It takes intentionality and it takes effort to move past that instinct of like, well, this is different and uncomfortable and I'd rather not. But to start to see that like, that's just where the richness that we're promised really comes in. And so there's that tension between, you know, difference and familiarity. Of course, we're drawn to what's familiar. But I think so many of us do have this thing in us that's like itching to experience you know, some of the chaos of the gospel, really, yeah. you know, that that we get we get kind of tired of everything being so placid, we get tired of making small talk with people, because that's all there is, you know, we see eye to eye on everything. And so what's left to do, but talk about the weather together, there's not there's not a lot of meat there. And, and I just see that more and more and more. So no matter where we live, no matter what our place is, no matter what our context is like, and that's what I really wanted to come through, and the ministry of ordinary places is that my life now it might look like Jen said a little bit spectacular i don't know i'm not comfortable using that word for it because i this is my ordinary i get it that it might look a little bit different and interesting but this is very much just my everyday ordinary new normal yeah and so no matter where we live whether you're in the suburbs or you know i'm in the neighborhood there are some people who live in the inner city which i do not i mean no matter where we're at it's normal and it's ordinary to us and so What now? What should we be doing with this time that we have here?
1: Well, and I've honestly, since reading those words and listening to your book, have really thought a lot and prayed about, Lord, why do I feel that way? And I just think if you're spending any time in God's word, it's impossible to not have the stirring within you because the man that we claim to follow, the man that we call savior of our lives, went into every circle of life and interacted with people and show right. great interest in their stories.
0: I think that's the truth. I think, I think neighbor is part of our spiritual DNA. Yeah. So I think for me, for years, I mean, I've grown up in the church. I've heard about loving your neighbor as yourself. I've heard it a thousand times, but only, you know, eight years ago and since then have I started to understand like, wait, what does that actually mean though? Why does he talk about this so much? Yes. And I think, like you said, I mean, this is birthed in us in ways that we might not even understand yet. But I, the good news is we don't know what we don't know. And maybe today's the day that, that our eyes, you know, wake up to some of this. Maybe today's the day for some of us yep. that today is the line in the sand where we say, oh, you know, like, I'm interested. I want to dig into the Gospels and read about what Jesus did with his, you know, his earthly life. I want to see how he lived. I want to pay attention to what he did. And I want to see his life as my roadmap. We know that he's the way, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes we think of his life on earth as being sort of, you know, he was born in the, major, in the manger, he died on the cross and was resurrected. We see those the middle years as kind of like just getting us from point A to point B. And not that it's not significant and meaningful and important, but that it's just sort of like, you know, while he was here, he preached to us. I I think that's how I looked at it for a long time. Like, while well, before he died and, you know, rose again to give us salvation before that, you know, he, he preached and told us things. I think he did. And I think that matters. But I also think he showed us mm-hmm. a whole lot about what it means to live meaningfully in the place where we've been put. Right?
1: Yeah. And, we're talking about that and something that you have written in the book and I could just keep quoting it. So I'm sorry that I keep saying that, but it's true. I even sent it to you, you know, I'm running on the treadmill and I'm jumping off and I'm pausing to like put the <laughs> clip on because there's things I want to come home and talk to my husband about. And, you know, he'll oftentimes listen to something after I've listened to it. And you said, you know, we don't really grow and change when we only hang out with the replicas of ourselves. Yeah. And our culture particularly Christian culture, promotes that so much. You know, be in community with people who are like you. Find somebody that you have something in common with. Right. And so how have you seen going against the grain Mm -hmm. in that way, hanging out with people who aren't replicas of yourself, draw you more into
0: this gospel living? I think for a, a long portion of my life, I was afraid of difference. And I feel like I now I'm kind of repeating myself, but I feel like I you know, it's hard to articulate. I believed and I don't know that I don't know if people taught me this in so many words, but I had this idea that if I was to sit and talk with somebody who did not share my faith, that was kind of dangerous. It was okay with me to share my faith with them, and that's what I was supposed to do. But I should not sit and listen to their perspective for very long because I might be like sucked into the dark side is really honestly how I saw it. And even with politics, you know, with even I could say some like socioeconomic, like there was just this thought of like people are in are in a couple of different camps. And it's kind of dangerous and risky to cross camps when we started to do that, when we found ourselves in a community where. I mean, we moved here, we did not move far away, we moved 20 minutes away. It was as if we moved, I mean, to when we first got here. Yeah, I mean, it was so it was so unfamiliar and so different. And I knew nobody here. And so for those first few years, I was just I wanted to sit and listen to people. And almost every person I sat down to talk with, I mean, I would have coffee. I was like, I wish I could go back in time and see myself at work because I was really like, I'm an introvert who suddenly was like, I just want to meet people. I'm kind of lonely and I'm super interested. I ended up sitting down with a lot of different people who viewed life in any number of ways very differently than I did. And what I realized was that helped me clarify my own faith. It helped me push against some of the things that I had never forced myself to really Mm. inspect or investigate things that I had taken for granted my faith was sustained through this and it grew and was strengthened through this, even in situations where, you know, some of my friends, we will never see things in the same way. And mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it makes things so interesting. It's so much fun to sit with people without being afraid of, you know, is this okay? Is it okay that I'm talking to this person? When we got out of our out of our comfort zone mm-hmm. and really began to meaningfully interact with people who who were in in different places around us, I mean, I just I cannot say enough. That's when things got really really interesting. And that's when we did start to grow in some ways that, you know, there was a lot I I say all the time, my neighbors changed my life because they changed my life. You know, when we started to build friendships with people who, you know, their nearness was going to require that we put certain things that we had taken for granted sort of under the microscope. Like we were going to have to take a harder look at some things in order to navigate friendship and to navigate a way forward. And when we started to do that, I mean, a lot of the way we saw the world changed most of the way we saw the world change, but we certainly did not, we didn't lose our faith. Our faith just grew and grew and grew.
1: Yeah. It's like it grows deeper roots. That's one of the only ways I know how to describe Within the last two years, I have, for those of those who who do not know, been woke, um, which means I have been woke to the fact that there is racism in our culture. And I can just say that right now, but there's a lot more depth and roots to what God has really taught me in the last two years about that and how much I have grown in that I don't even know how to describe it to
0: people it's just there's
1: a deeper root and understanding and a deeper love for people that are not like me
0: right well and I am the exact same way I mean you know I grew up in an all-white community my entire life and even you know I just I was surrounded by whiteness I in a lot of ways have our oldest son Robert to thank for just sort of waking me up to some of these realities. And he's, he's African-American. He's, you know, when, when he came into our family, he was incarcerated in the County jail. And this is before Corey was the chaplain there. So, you know, visiting him in the jail was my first introduction to the jail. And then he was sent to prison and then he was sent home to us on house arrest. And he's still, we're seven years later and he's still in that system Fighting His way off of probation and, you know, all these kinds of things. And so you start to understand that it, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me in some ways, until my life was meaningfully included, people of color. I just didn't really, I just, like I said, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I wasn't forced to think about this stuff. I wasn't forced to, to sit with the discomfort. Mm -hmm. I wasn't forced to acknowledge the ways that I had been part of the problem. Yes. And once you start to do that, once you see it, you cannot unsee it. You can't. And then you see it everywhere and then it grows and grows and then you become minorly obsessed with it. And I think that's all kind of part of the part of the plan
1: <laughs> well and part of the the typical like grieving process I hate to yeah. say that it's the grieving process but it really is because of the reality that things happen against people that you love once you acknowledge it then you know you become angry about it and then you're trying to like right. bargain your way yeah. out of what can we do about all this always trying to fix it until you make finally it go get away point right. where you accept it and you do what you can do yeah to impact the area of life that you're interacting in, or you step out of your comfort zone in order to impact.
0: That's it. And you, you know, we, I guess I, I won't speak for you, but I'm imagining that you'll resonate with this. But for Corey and I, I mean, we lost other relationships along oh, yeah. the way because it just, it could not, we could not come to a place of understanding at all. I mean, there, there were people who just could not hang with us and who had thought that we had lost our minds and, And I know that that will continue, you know, those, some of those relationships are going to continue to fall away. And that's okay, because this is, you know, this is the, the truth. This is the world as we see it. This is what we live every day with the people around us. And, you know, we can trust that. And we've seen, although it has taken some time, we've seen, we've seen the Lord replace some of that loss, Mm. you know, with some really surprising new friendships that have become in a lot of ways, you know, family to us. We've seen him, we've seen his faithfulness in that.
1: I could keep going down this, you know, trail pretty far. And so I'll say one more thing before we move on, just to also point out that I had this stereotype or idea almost that every person of color was either had chosen to be poor or that the majority of them were. And I have learned, where did that come from? It's because I had grown up in a white community where the few people that I did know were in difficult circumstances. Whereas now it's like, no, I have a ton of friends who graduated college. They, I mean, this idea that somehow they're less educated than me was a stereotype that was completely wrong.
0: Isn't that painful to... (laughs) I mean, I just, I think it is painful and necessary work to start to understand for so much of my life, my interaction with somebody who, let's just say Robert, he loves it when I talk about him on podcasts, by the way, he won't mind this at all. (laughs) Okay. But my only interaction with, you know, air quotes, Robert was on the nightly news. Oh yeah. You know, like that was my only, and so, and so in some ways, you know, Robert comes along and in some ways he might sort of fit that stereotype because he's a young black man who's incarcerated. But the question that I start finally started to ask myself is why Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let's look beyond the surface of, I mean, we could spend like five whole podcasts talking about the injustices of his personal story, Mm -hmm. Uh but we have to come to a place where we are willing to ask why, why was he ever incarcerated in the first place? what was his life like before then what is his life like now why are things terribly unfair for him even still now i mean it you know that's where that that peacemaking spirit comes alive within us and it's there not peacekeeping but peacemaking mm-hmm. which requires work and requires us to get kind of bossy and requires us to get a little loud about certain things in ways that might upset the people around us. And that's okay, because my son is worth it. My son is everything. And so, you know, I will go down fighting for him. I will. And for so many people who are in his situation. And I I do want to add this one quick thing before we move on, because I think it's important. Because we live in this technology age, Mm -hmm. this digital age, what I want to be clear to point out is, if somebody's listening and they live I mean I just for most of for most of my life I lived in a community that I loved that was just mostly white.
1: Oh yeah. There's
0: and that's okay. Like I don't I don't want I'm not here to say like everybody needs to now move. I think some people might need to move. Right. But even if you live in one of those communities that is just really really white, you can choose who you follow on social media. You can curate here, get a Twitter account, even if you never plan to post a single thing. Maybe that's better. I mean, I have learned I love Instagram and I'm on there almost every day, but I love Twitter because Twitter helped. It helped shape me spiritually. Yeah. It helped shape my my sense of justice because I choose I choose to primarily listen to people of color people who have been marginalized in some way. Mm -hmm. I just made that intentional switch just a couple of years ago. And I cleaned things out. And I I just really changed who I'm following over there. And I have learned a ton. Mm -hmm. So that's my word. I mean, choose the books that you're reading. Right now, I'm very intentionally reading authors of color, because I realized that I was still reading mostly white women. And my husband realized
1: is missing.
0: It's missing. My husband realized he was reading mostly white men. I mean, It takes that intention of saying, like, "Oh, yeah, this is probably, this is probably not cool." You know, I'm just I'm reinforcing things that don't necessarily need to be reinforced in me. What if I listened to the voice of Native American Indigenous people? That might that might be super meaningful, and it has been. Um, I've got two Asian sons. What if I started reading theology from the perspective of Korean people, Mm -hmm. for example, because that's what both my boys are. So to to, even with fiction, even with poetry, I mean, to just begin to be real intentional about who we're listening to, that's something all of us can do.
1: Maybe I'll have to curate a list of things that you and I would say have influenced us and put that in the show Mm -hmm. notes, because I know I'll get asked that question. I get asked that question now. What have right. you read? Um, and I'm like, I could come up with a laundry list of yeah. things and people. And so I agree with you. But tell me, what does a day in Shannon's life look like? Because <laughs> oh I know gosh. like this morning in the frozen tundra, you are driving <laughs> your neighbors to work. Because once again, we sometimes don't think about the fact Right. That people stand outside, they don't have a car, they don't have gloves. Right. So what does the day-to-day life for, yeah. you know, Shannon look like?
0: I think Shannon's life <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I will not refer to myself in third person. I haven't done that for a while. <laughs> My life looks very it looks probably pretty typical to most everybody's lives who are listening, and I'm aware of that all the time. That's something again that I found myself writing about in the ministry of ordinary places. I think sometimes we can we can sort of build a narrative for somebody when we read their books. I do the same thing. What I want everybody to hear is that most of my life is lived In the three feet of space between my island and my kitchen sink. (laughs) That's where I live and die. Wiping up spills and pouring more popcorn. (laughs) That is my lane. And I tell my family constantly to get out of my lane. Like I just, I've got this, I just, all I want is these three feet. That's all I want. And I need you out of these three feet the dishwasher's there, the sink's there, the stove is there. I have to interrupt because my
1: (laughs) oldest will always come. Same thing. I've got like my dishwasher on one side. The sink is, it's basically a 90 degree angle and it never fails because he is my talker. Believe it or not, all three of mine are talkers. Of course, they must get (laughs) it from their mama. But anyways, (laughs) my oldest will just stand there and tell me all about the book he's reading. And I'm like, there's this whole space on the other side right. of the island, there no is stairs there, and I can hear you over here, two I feet know. away from me just as well as I can hear you oh. right here in this area by the sink, so anyway, yes,
0: amen <laughs> we've been we are in the frozen tundra, and so this is my kid's third day off of school in a row because it's so stinking cold here. It's like negative fifty wind chill right now. And so, yesterday at the end of the day, I'm thinking, what did I do all day today? And granted, yesterday was an atypical day. Right. But I, I had to laugh because I'm like, oh, yeah, I just stood in my kitchen and made food for these animals that live in my house. And that's all I did. I just made cinnamon food for rolls. Them. Did Up you make
1: homemade them. cinnamon rolls?
0: Heck yes, I did. Go, girl. I mean, what else I was, was impressed, you going to do so- on a Saturday? This is how you are
1: not typical. You're making homemade cinnamon rolls, and mine are straight I, um, from the Pillsbury Doughboy.
0: <laughs> Listen, this recipe that I finally found, I've never been good at – I love to cook and bake, and it's – it that's like my way that I escape chaos sometimes. And so it's good because, it, you know, it, serve, it can be kind of a serves-two-purposes yeah. sort of thing. But I spend a lot of time cooking and baking it in my kitchen, but I've never been good at cinnamon rolls until this recipe – and my friend D.L. Mayfield, she's another author. She brought it to my attention. Read her books, by the way. D.L. Um, Mayfield. She, she wrote a book called Assimilate or Go Home about refugees. It's so good. Read all of her stuff. Anyway, she called my attention to this cinnamon roll recipe, and I will never go back. I, I, I've made them three out of the past four weeks, and I, give them, I have to give some of them to neighbors, or I will eat the entire pan. That's how good they are. They're foolproof. <laughs> Oh, I'll give you the recipe. I was going to say you, you need to share. Show notes. So I'm sorry, I'm getting way off track. I know. It's a- Cinnamon rolls will do that Yeah. <laughs> to person. Food, food in general. <laughs> I spend most of my life doing ordinary things. The thing that sort of brings the chaos beyond just having little kids and, you know, working and, you know, just everyday life. I think our lives are all a little chaotic in that way. But we live in a neighborhood where a lot of our friends don't drive. And so that's, again, I write about this a lot because I just, I want people to know I'm not here changing the world, okay? I'm just giving a lot of rides. I'm ge- I'm giving people it. rides to school. I'm giving people rides to work. You know, we just recently celebrated a neighbor of ours who just got her driver's license after not having it for, I mean, she had lost it along the way. She had to pay a ton of money to get it back. She had to like... She's my age, and she had to do the whole driving with another driver for 40 hours or whatever. I mean, she had to do the whole thing over again. But we sat back and, and just celebrated. I mean, there, there was a time where part of my life meant picking her up at work release, which is in my neighborhood. It's a place kind of like jail, but you can go to work. And I would pick her up from work release and drive her to another city to her job every day. That is such a small, small thing that any of us can do, but that is what many of my neighbors need. They don't need me to try to fix them because they, they don't need fixed Exactly. and they don't need me to fix their lives because I can't, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. a lot of the stuff they're facing is stuff that that is going to have to be God's work. And we trust that it will be, I cannot fix addiction. I cannot fix generational poverty. I cannot fix oppression I cannot fix a lot of the things that my neighbors struggle with, but I can give a ride. Mm-hmm. If we can begin to believe that giving a ride or, you know, we try to live very much with our door easy on its hinges, you know, that anybody, and I've ne- we haven't encountered a person yet that has not been welcome in our home and at our table. Um, so far, it's just like, you can show up anytime, whenever, and you are welcome at my kitchen table and I'll make you a bowl of soup. If we can start to believe that, you know, a bowl of soup or a ride to work matters, you know, that these small things are the only things, if we can really believe that making one person's life better makes the world better, yeah, because it does, you know, making the world better for that one person makes the world better. If we can live like that and, and just really lean into the ordinariness of our daily life. I mean, so much of my life is just so boring and ordinary. But to be available, you know, that's the key for us is to just to reset our perspective. I think especially when I got to this neighborhood, I I still had a firm grip on my schedule, my plans. That's still something that's very hard for me. Interruptions are hard. Mm -hmm. And I certainly say no. There are times that we say no and we, we believe with our whole heart that at the point that we say no to a neighbor, that's when our real friendship begins. That's when it's not this us, them, I give, you receive. I mean, when we say no to people, but you know, that that's where real friendship starts. I believe that, I believe it.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But just being available for those inconveniences, there have been plenty more times than I care to admit that I will allow myself to be quote inconvenienced. And there's part of me inside that is just raging quietly. Mm-hmm. But I cannot think of a single time. Where I haven't been, you know, there there hasn't been a time that I haven't felt that it wasn't worthwhile. Right. So sometimes we, I have to push through that instinct of like, no, I'm busy right now. This is my time, and and it's okay to sometimes have those times where you do say no. But when we can push through that, when we can push through and kind of allow our our souls to be kind of pricked with that feeling of like, you can do this right now, Shannon. Just set your agenda aside. And be, you know, be aware of what's happening around you. Be a part of it. It's just always, always worth it. It's always worth it.
1: As I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about that inconvenience feeling and how annoyed I can get with it. Yeah. It's (laughs) true, though, that when you just, when it becomes more of your normal everyday practice to push through it it's just like anything else that becomes more of a habit that becomes more of I'm allowing myself to be inconvenienced and it feels far less like an inconvenience now because I'm just used to it.
0: Right. That's exactly it. I have grown along the way to see this as my job. This is my calling. We are all, if we are Christ followers, our calling and our ministry is to live as people who love and are loved by their neighbors that is our calling yeah and so if i can keep my perspective in line that maybe i'm at home working maybe i'm even under a deadline maybe there are those times that i have to say like i'm i can't right now right but a lot of times i can say like okay i'm doing this work but my job is to be available to the people around me. Mm. And so I can set this work aside right now, knowing, unfortunately, that it's not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, When I come right. back, it's still going to be here. That's right. I told Corey this morning, you know, I, I picked up a neighbor and took her to work. I cannot comprehend what it would have looked like for her. If we had not been able to give her a ride, she walks Mm -hmm. to work every day. She is just a quirky and beautiful soul. She's a regular part of our life. She lives just a few blocks from me, and she walks a mile-ish to get to work. Mm -hmm. Nobody should be doing that today. We try to take her to work whenever we can. But, you know, she just completely delighted me. I was with her for maybe a total of 10 minutes. You know, this took maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes at most of my day. But she made me laugh out loud. And that's that's not nothing when it's as cold outside as it was. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: (laughs) She's just a delight. And I'm dropping her off. You know, she's working minimum wage at a restaurant. She's going to be there for the rest of her day. And I just, I can drive away from that just brief moment with her with a smile on my face and so grateful that I had the opportunity to start my day with her.
1: Yeah, so awesome. I know Corey is now the jail chaplain, and I mean, that is not that far from where you live. And so how do you partner with him in that? Because I feel like I've seen so many of your posts and his posts that you all do a lot of that life together.
0: I mean, it's just, it's our whole life, so... It's funny because he's been doing this now for five years. It was very unexpected. You know, he went from wearing suits and ties to his congressional job every day to doing, you know, he has an insane beard. It's crazy and ridiculous. And nobody should have the beard that he has. And he just rolls out. It's so popular right
1: now. Why? Why?
0: I don't know. But his is, he's two years younger than me he's 40 years old and his beard is white he has that's why Santa my husband Claus won't beard. grow
1: his out because he's like there's oh this gosh. patch over here I'm like don't do it I don't like to kiss men with scruffy beards
0: no it's uh, it, he's got this big crazy white beard he wears his flannel and his boots and he goes to the jail every day but our life has been it has been transformed by people who are coming out and sometimes going back in and coming out again of incarceration it, it has permeated our life in a way that for me, I have to take a step back sometimes and, and remember like, you know, this is, this is surprising. This is not at all the life I imagined living. It's so different than the life I thought I wanted. Um, and it's just so much better, you know? So, but it's also, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's also sad. It's also too much. Sometimes it's also frustrating sometimes, and it breaks our hearts sometimes. Yeah. I mean, You know, we just, we live life. We just recently, over the past couple of weeks, have lived through in extremely close proximity some of our dearest friends who have been doing so well for a year and a half or two years and have relapsed, and it is gut-wrenching. And they've, you know, they've been on my couch, and they've been at my table, and we've been there every step of the way, and my kids have been too. You know, that's where I'm like... My kids are seeing this. They're living this. And this makes me panic a little bit sometimes like, oh, my gosh, is this okay? I called a family meeting the other night, which we don't do very often. We're not a very structured (laughs) family. And my kids were all like, what in the world are you doing? But I'm like, I just need to make sure, you know, I know you guys heard things and, you know, you're aware of what's going on and we just need to check in. And to them, it's just, you know, they have a very different perspective because this is a lot of what they know of life. But it's funny because Corey and I had a conversation not long ago, and he came to the realization and helped me understand, too, he spends every day inside the jail. Mm -hmm. What that means, though, is that he is spending time with people at their best. Sometimes we think of people in jail as at their worst, Mm. but a lot of times, not in every way, but in many ways, they're at their best. They are sober. They have a minute to breathe and get some perspective and clear their head. They're in Bible studies if they want to be. They're in GED classes. They're in they're in programming that's super useful. They're not necessarily dealing and and it's very stressful in some ways, but in other ways, they're not dealing with the everyday stress of life, right? Especially as people experiencing poverty or addiction right. or all of these things. So he sees them when they're just doing so well. My experience as somebody who is not inside the jail is I experience a lot of people coming out of the jail, which is when their life is the absolute hardest. So they come out of jail with the best of intentions and they immediately are just slammed with the realities of life. They are immediately confronting the fact that they don't know anybody who's not on drugs. They're dealing with mothers of their children again, which can be stressful. You know, all these different relational dynamics. And so I sometimes I can tend to feel the most despair oh, yeah. <laughs> out of the two of us. And we finally realized why. You know, yeah. it's like I just see this. I love this part over and over and over again yeah. without the reprieve of, you know, hanging out and like playing cards and doing Bible studies with, right. with these amazing to people have every a day. Conversation about life. Right. Right. Wow. So it's it's a different it's a different sort of thing, but we just we believe in a way that we cannot ever unbelieve. We can't stop believing that the true gift to us is to be near people and to walk with them through everything when they get out of jail. That is God's gift to us. That is God's goodness and his abundance to us. We get to sit there in it and walk through it. You know, Christians love to talk about how Jesus promises us an abundant life. Yeah. But we only we tend to think of that as like good. Mm-hmm. Like money and peace and comfort and faith and you know all these things that are good things. I've started to see that abundance means everything. It doesn't just mean the good things. It means all of the things mm-hmm. some of which are going to break our hearts, but that's where we know that you know suffering helps us to endure and endurance builds our character and character does give us hope. I mean, we've got to have all of that in place in our lives. That is what the abundant life is.
1: Well, and I actually wrote down something that you said, well, that you wrote that abundance means the sweet and the salty, and it has had profound impact on me because I thought, you know, that's so true. Abundance, nobody ever, the word does not say that abundance is only goodness. And we have I mean, kind of un- added un- that to it. <laughs> right?
0: It would be great. It would be great if we were promised only happy things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, on some level as a human, I can say like, man, that would be nice. Yeah. There can be a lot of beauty hidden in sadness and grief. Yeah. There can be.
1: Absolutely. If we are
0: willing to sit in that tension to sit in that pain and to not to not take a detour around somebody else's suffering. Yeah. But to say, you know, that's where we've learned that we get to say, I can't, you know, our friends who have relapsed, I cannot fix that. I desperately wish that I could. Right. And I would try almost anything, yeah. but I can't fix it. But yeah. what we can say to them, and, and I do over and over again, is we are right here and we are not going anywhere. And we know that you can do this because you've done it before we're going to be here. You know, you just sit in it. It's the only thing that you can do. Yeah.
1: And don't abandon them because so many times that's that's been the story of their life is in and out, in and out. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. I wanted to take a moment to introduce today's sponsor. I have recently began to understand the impact my purchases can have, and I want that impact to be positive. With Design for Joy, I know each purchase made is an investment in a woman who is being equipped to rejoin the job market with stronger faith, more confidence, and marketable skills. Design for Joy is a transitional work experience for women coming from trafficking, time in prison, homelessness, and other vulnerable situations. These women receive a living wage for their work creating a brand of jewelry and bags. And have I mentioned that I own several items from Design for Joy that always receive compliments from my friends? And they spark conversations on how we can wear cute jewelry and carry cute bags with greater joy because we are providing a much-needed job to the women in the Triangle area. Not only do I wear their products, I love to give their products as gifts for every occasion. I've seen their bright, beautiful studio. I believe in what they are doing. So I want to encourage you to influence change in the lives of women by following and purchasing ethically made products from Design for Joy. Visit www.designforjoy.com, or if you live in the Triangle area, visit their shop in the Boylan Heights area of Raleigh, North Carolina. So, Shannon, what is on the horizon for you? Do you have any other books that you're considering writing? What's going on in <laughs> your world nowadays? Or are you just coming off of the... I don't even know what you would call it, the roller coaster of releasing the Ministry of Ordinary
0: Places. You know, it's only been out since the end of September, so it's still pretty new. And it's just, it's been a lot of fun to watch this book really catch with people. I just, I think people are ready. Right now is the right time for this book, and Mm -hmm. people are ready to believe that they can you know they can escape all of the tension circulating up in the air around us where the problems are very very big yeah and seem impossible that they can escape that tension by by getting very low to the ground where they live yeah. and paying attention and understanding that God is vibrantly alive in their midst and and so they true. can choose to join him there yeah. and that's really that is the the heart of this book and people are receiving it, and they're sharing it, and they're talking about it. So this book launch still feels like it's really happening still right now, which is really fun. That's awesome. I mean, my whole thing is if every person could just, you know, go stand on their right outside their front door. And I mean, this quite literally just stand outside the front door, and look 360 degrees around them, like what is right in front of me, that I can be paying attention to, and it might take time, you know this is neighboring and ministry in our ordinary places is slow work, and we can allow ourselves to cast away this idea that we've got to go drum up business for the Lord. That's, mm. that's a, a, an impulse that I fight frequently. I don't need to drum up business. I need to just be attentive to my place. And so I'm hoping that this book will just nudge each of us a little bit deeper into wherever God has us right now. I am not writing anything new yet, but I'm just in that phase where I'm starting to like, think about things. Um, You know, I I do feel like in a lot of ways, I just did this. But before too long, I mean, I'm just I'm really kind of in a place of, of just noticing my life and being present for my life and praying. And I, I don't want to write books that don't need to be written. I, love I don't want to write books just to write another book i believe i'll write a, another one i know i will i'm waiting to sort of wake up to what that what that next book is going to be and so that's that can be a fun a fun part of the work um but i a couple of interesting things that i'm doing is that i have started volunteering finally at the jail one morning every couple of weeks so it's not it's not a ton but the jail ministry bought a tattoo removal laser. I saw that on Ah! Instagram. So one of my best friends is actually the technician that runs that laser. She's their tattoo removal technician. And I get to go in every other Wednesday morning and run the cooling machine, which is like this little machine that blows cold air. It's super painful. It's, it's super, it's worse than getting a tattoo. Oh my gosh. Like way worse. So I get to run the cooling machine. It's so funny because Corey's been there for five years, and only in the past couple of months have I become an actual volunteer. That's something that I'm excited about. And then...
1: So that is really a need
0: in jails. Yeah.
1: So many oh people gosh. want to just get the gang symbols removed. Yes. Like, what? okay.
0: Yes. That's a big part of it. So they will remove any face or neck or hand tattoos. Okay because that is a real job stopper for people. So even if it's not gang related, I mean, if you've got, I mean, and a lot of it, even if it's not gang related, it's hate language, Mm -hmm. because people are, you know, they're marking their bodies, when they're at their absolute lowest. Yes. And so they end up kind of transferring that pain and that shame onto their flesh. And so they will remove any of that as well as any gang related tattoo. One of the things that happens, and this is stuff that I'm just honestly kind of learning as well. A lot of the people, you know, when if you have a gang tattoo, when you're getting out of jail or even when you're being sent on to prison, those symbols carry a whole lot of meaning and weight. Yeah. And it's so it's so prevalent, especially in the prison culture. Which, you know, people who are in county jail are awaiting sentencing. Some of them are going to get out or be sent to work release or home detention or that kind of thing. Some of them are being sent on to prison. And so there's a lot of dynamics at play there. But I know Corey was saying that recently a guy, there was a guy who was in a white supremacist gang in prison and he had basically like a swastika on him. And he was getting ready to be released. And he said, I, I don't want my daughters oh, yeah. growing up seeing this symbol of hate on their dad. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's something he could cover with his shirt when he's in public. But he has little girls. And so he's, as his heart and mind are being transformed, right. he's seeing things, not you know, through a different lens, too. Yes. So it's, it's really beautiful, meaningful, and very practical work that's being done. It's awesome to be in jails and do Bible studies and baptisms and communion and all of these things. But it's also awesome to give people really practical. To begin to erase some of that pain and that shame and to watch them sit through it. I mean, it's hard to watch. I mean, they just these tough guys sit and just they're almost climbing out of their skin because it just hurts so bad. And it's worth it to them. Wow. That's something that we could all learn from.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, in a form of self care that a lot of us don't even consider.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, because you're right. It takes boldness and a lot of transformation for someone to want those things to come off of their body. That's
0: it. That's it. And so there are people, and I honestly would have been one of these people at, at a certain point in my life who would say like, that is not our problem. Mm -hmm. You know, you got the tattoo, you live with the tattoo. We're not spending time and money on this. Yep. I mean, I would have been that girl. Me I would too. have been that woman saying those things. Me too. And to begin to just constantly seek to see the people around us through the light of God's compassion and love mm. is just a gift. It's a gift to me. I mean, that's how I want people to assume the best of me. I don't want to be, you know, pushed into the corner of my worst moments because I've got some pretty ugly moments too, you know?
1: Yes, and we're um, all honestly only one step away from a different outcome in our lives. That's right, and that is so far out of reach sometimes for people to see, but it is reality.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And that may not be poverty, but that may be loss of life, disability due to a, there's just so many. You're one step away, right. from Your it's life true. being different.
0: It's true. Yeah, it's it's fun. One of the really neat things that's happening right now. So it's we're right in the midst of it is we're getting a second laser to put in a local. It's actually it's where me and my family go to the doctor. It is right across the street from us. But to get a laser out in the communities, because it takes often like four or five treatments to get the tattoo gone. So when when guys are released from jail, they might be in the middle of treatment or there might just be, be people in the community with gang related tattoos we wanted it to be accessible to people who are not just incarcerated because for a while we were just, Corey and I were kind of joking around a little bit of like the only way to get a tattoo removed is to go to jail, <laughs> which is not <laughs> ideal. That's not ideal. It's, you can have them removed elsewhere, but it will cost you expensive. thousands of dollars. Right. It's so expensive. So Corey's been working to partner with this community healthcare facility and they're amazing so that's getting, re- you know, we're we're just getting ready to put that into place.
1: Well, since it's time for us to close up, I typically ask two or three questions at the end. I'm just going to ask you this one. If you had the opportunity to sit down with your great grandkids, what is some wisdom that you would want to share with them?
0: Oh, my goodness. That is the best question ever. I'll try to keep my answer brief. I can think of a lot of things circulating through my brain. I think the thing that I want my grandkids to know, and it's the thing that I want my kids to know right now, is that God is alive and at work right in their midst. And so they don't need to feel the pressure to like bring God to the neighborhood, bring God into the school. I felt some of that pressure when I was a kid. Like it was my job to like bring, you know, God couldn't go anywhere unless I took him. And I get it. I mean, I think we are blessed to reflect God's love and glory anywhere we go. Right. But God is at work. He's at work in the world around us. He's at work in the darkest places around us. And Hmm. people are not separated into good people and bad people. Because, again, I think that was just, you know, if I can think of one thing I want my kids to know, and I don't know how the way that we live life I don't know how it's going to shake out with my kids as they get older. I don't know. Well, and it's nobody else knows either. The That's lie right.
1: that we live that just because you raise your kids in this safe, amen, what you consider safe, right. Christian culture. I mean, yeah. let's just be honest. That is a huge pressure that parents have. And many parents have faced some intense disappointment because they thought they did all the right things and their right. kids still did not turn out the way they'd hoped.
0: That's it. Yeah, we we want the credit when they turn out awesome. But then when things go off the rails (laughs) and so we we recognize that we we really we're doing the best that we can do Mm -hmm. and we're really not in as much control as we think we are. Mm -hmm. But I think growing up, I sort of saw the world as like there are good people and there are bad people and I'm one of the good ones. And I don't think I know that it did not serve me well. And so the one thing that I hope my kids are learning and the one thing I hope my grandkids can just can maybe begin, maybe they can, unlike me, maybe they can just grow into this rather than learning this when they were in their mid thirties, you know, that we're all made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. We all have goodness in us and we're all sort of the worst, you know, like we're just, we're all the good and we're all the bad. And so we don't have to look at the world in this dichotomy of I'm good, you're bad. I mean, we get to just, we get to live in kinship with the people around us. We get to give And receive from them, Um, we get to love them and be loved by the people around us, no matter what they look like. I think that is that is where we will encounter Jesus. I think this is, you know, Jesus shows us all throughout Scripture that He chose to hang out with the lowest and the the least loved, the people that the world around Him were judging and condemning and, you know, avoiding. That's who He chose. We get to learn by that example.
1: Thank you so much, Shannon.
0: You are so welcome.
1: Yeah, tell all our listeners, where can we find you?
0: You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on both of them most days, at Shannon Writes. And my name is S-H-A-N-N-A-N, Writes. I do also still write on my blog and send kind of these secret emails once a month, once or twice a month. And so you can find all that information on shannonmartinwrites.com. Um, My books, Falling Free and the Ministry of Ordinary Places, are available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or hopefully your local bookstore and library, anywhere you can find books.
1: That's right. And I will make sure that I link all of those in the show notes. So thanks again for being here. This has been a fantastic conversation.
0: I loved it. I hope you have an awesome day.
1: Thank you for using your time to listen to today's episode. If your mouth is still watering from our discussion about homemade cinnamon rolls, you can head over to graceenoughpodcast.com and find the recipe under show notes. If you enjoy the show, would you take a moment to leave a review on iTunes? Those reviews help me know how the show is impacting you. Be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play and subscribe. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the podcast. If you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag GraceEnoughPodcast or tag me at GraceEnoughPodcast underscore Amber on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for
0: listening to the and of Podcast. Tune in next time! This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.